Welcome back, everybody, to the Drink and Learn podcast. I am drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce. And I'm bartender Abigail Gullo. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> hey, Abigail. I haven't seen you in a little while. I know. I missed you. The last time I saw you, I was getting ready to go to Mexico City. Yeah. And I was getting, and, and we were recording the agave episode. And you told me that I wasn't going to drink any tequila because I was going to be so excited to try all these other agave spirits. And you were right. I was well, correct. you were almost right. I did have a little bit of tequila, yes. but I mostly had a whole lot of mezcal. Mm -hmm. And I also tried, um, we had some ricea and the bacanora, mm -hmm. bacanora mm -hmm. and the, and some sotal. Oh, and nice. it was all delicious. And I, highly encourage anyone who has never been to Mexico City to go there because it was wonderful and beautiful and vibrant and exciting and um and and it's right there and you don't even have to hardly change time zones and yeah, yeah. yeah. and place. oh and and frankly your dollar goes very far yes uh and particularly in an uber Oh my goodness, because, isn't that incredible? I yeah. took so many Ubers in Mexico City and I was just didn't pay any attention. And then when I was looking at the bills when I got home and I was like, wait, 67 cents? That Uber ride yeah. cost me 67 cents? That's crazy. Yes, yes. It's like $2 here, $3 there. And for far, right? Yeah. To go far. To go really far. Yeah, but that's of course not the main reason to go to Mexico City. Um, but Uber does make it very handy mm -hmm. to get around. Um, and so, yeah. And, and I'll mention you could use Lyft too, maybe. I uh, to no, it, it was no, it wasn't there yet. So, mm -hmm. um, so that every because every now and then I would open my Lyft app because that's what I tend to use in New Orleans. And it would be like, we can't find anyone. And then I'd be like, no. And then, oh, right, right, right. right. We can't <laughs> use it here yet. Um, but uh, we stayed in Condessa, which is where the cool mm. kids stay. And Lee was very delighted by the third wave coffee shop that was, you know, across the park. But we went there, uh, which was called Quintin, as in Quentin, like Quentin Tarantino, yeah. but it was Quintin. And we went there every morning, so we kind of got to know the baristas, or rather they got to know us, whether they, li they liked it or not, because <laughs> I asked lots of questions. And um, yeah, so it was great. Everybody should go there. Uh, so something that I had almost none of that I can, uh, now that I'm like ticking through the drinks that I had while I was there. Cause, oh, cause I did go to a uh, Licoria Limantour. Oh yeah. Uh, which is like one of the best bars in the world yeah. and had some really lovely drinks there. But even, so I had very few cocktails, uh, in Mexico city. It was a lot of, um, uh, a lot of agave spirit. And then occasionally I did have some very nice Mexican wines mm -hmm. and a little bit of beer, uh, but not a lot of cocktails. And which meant that I, consumed no fortified wines, oh. which is the topic today. Oh, if only we were having this discussion right before I was about to jet off to southern Spain to study Jerez. <laughs> but alas, <laughs> that is not the case. So you need to work on uh, chatting up some, some brand to get <laughs> you out there 
and then I'll come to Jerez. And we will uh, yeah. do a podcast out we'll there. Do a podcast uh, live. <laughs> so, uh, to to clarify, because that is the purpose of these this series that we've mm-hmm. been doing. Um, these are not deep deep dives, and in fact, I bet you would agree that each of almost each of these fortified wines, at least certainly the more famous ones could be their own episodes. So like there could just be a Sherry episode. There could just be a Vermouth episode. Um, But fortified wines are wines that have had some kind of distilled spirit added to them. And they Mm -hmm. were added to, because um, wine on a long sea voyage in the 17th or 18th century, maybe not even a sea voyage, just a long voyage (laughs) across whatever terrain, um, they would not always arrive their best um, because wine is much lower proof than spirit. So so winemakers started adding spirit to preserve the uh, the life of the wine, and that spirit was often um, eau de vie, which then becomes brandy, and it isn't always brandy, but it's often brandy. And so you can number one go back to the brandy episode if you haven't listened to that one already, and you can learn that eau de vie and brandy and all of those things. Um, and there are several fortified wines that emerge. And you probably heard these words before, but we'll take you through a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that we should just start with uh, our favorites. So Abigail, you go first, because I know your favorite isn't mine. Oh, yes, that's true. Well, my favorite is of the you know classic just fortified wine categories is uh, Sherry. Uh, Sherry is specifically from the area in south of Spain, Jerez. Um, the process is, uh, you know, nearly 3,000 years old. Um, the idea that you are adding um, a fortified uh, misto or brandy, um, eau de vie, to stop the fermentation process um, is what makes Sherry Sherry. It is... Um, uh, oxidative, controlled oxidation. It is non-oxidative. It is, it is everything on, all in one. It is basically, it is white wine that is super, super dry, and it is red wine that is super, super sweet. Um, the range of sherries is so huge, and yes, like Elizabeth said, we could have an entire separate episode on sherry. Um, I will just, and we probably will. We probably will. We probably will. And we probably will. So I will just mention um, that the one thing that when people think sherry, they think of something really sweet that their grandmother drank. Uh, But sherry was actually designed to go with food, and it goes with every kind of food. So um, that means uh, a fino or a manzanilla is going to go with seafood and um, almonds and nuts and oysters, and amontillado is going to go great with quail and chicken and duck and oloroso is going to go so good with beef and then you have um, a um, muscatel and pedro jimenez sherry that is good with blue cheese and walnuts and honey and um, panna cotta and desserts and stuff like that so um, so that is my favorite fortified wine and and the 
what the, one of the reasons why it's my favorite is that the process of fortifying it is is so controlled and so distinctive and so what makes that wine sherry and like sherry is sherry wine because of the fortification process and how uh, how that process is done um, over time. The other thing that really makes sherry stand apart is the Solera method uh, in which that they store the sherry in these giant, um, what they call bodegas, but they're more like cathedrals filled with rickhouses, uh, kind of like the rickhouses of Kentucky, filled with uh, giant um, barrels, which they call butts, sherry butts, B-U-T-T. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. not cursing. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. A, 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 and a butt, just so you know, was an historic uh, measurement. Um, mm-hmm. It was a it was a particular barrel size called barrel a butt. Size. So everybody, butt. so if you're 10 years old or if you're 40, you can be <laughs> like, oh, oh, I got my sherry out of a butt. <laughs> after the, I feel like after the butterfly pee episode, you know, we can only go up now, right? Yes, this is true. This okay. is true. So um, I I have yet to see a bodega, but I imagine there are things of beauty, and the aging process is also unique, and the controlled oxidation and um, replenishment of those sherry barrels in the Solera system is what makes sherry sherry. So that's a a brief roundup of of Sherry Jerez, my favorite fortified wine. And yours, Elizabeth, is? Oh, well, before I say that, though, the name Sherry, so because you you mentioned, let's go to Jerez, uh, which is a Jerez. place in Spain. It's a town in Spain. And uh, the word Sherry is kind of a bastardization of uh, Jerez. Um, but does Sherry have to be made in Jerez? Uh, does it have any DOC? Yes, yes it does. Um, it has to be in Jerez, or is yes. there an like an environs? The, or- the environ, yeah, the environs of of San Luca de Baramera, Jerez. They call it the Sherry Triangle. There's three cities, kind of around a bay, um, and that is what makes Sherry Sherry. And it has to be made to their you know certain level of standards. Their their terroir. Their what they believe you know their standards are. So yeah, okay. just like champagne has to be from champagne. Sherry has to be from that region in, in Spain. Yeah. So my favorite fortified wine is vermouth and specifically sweet vermouth. And it all started back in 1991 when I went to the University of Siena in Italy, in Tuscany, in Italy. And um, yeah, like my whole life changed because I spent a year in Italy and my classes were in Italian, but I was in school with other foreign students. So like the teachers knew that Italian was not our native language, but we were all having to communicate in this. And it's a really great way to get to know people from all over the world because you're all struggling together to like muddle through this language. And um, if you live in a place and you are not vacationing, then you began to live as a local does. And by local, I mean like local foreign student, you know. Um, and something that I began drinking, and, and it got away from me for a while, but I totally drank like an Italian for a year. Uh, I drank ver- red vermouth on the rocks, and 
I and it was Martini Rossi back then because I don't remember what was happening in the world. But first of all, there was no euro then. So this is before the EU. There was just the lira. And normally the lira it was weak, weak, weak. But something was happening. And so the dollar was weak. And so Martini Rossi was not very expensive. And so um, I have this very vivid memory of pouring it on the rocks, sometimes with a twist, lemon twist. And we would either take a bottle to the piazza, and it's a very famous piazza in Siena, or we would sit in my friend Sarah's apartment, like stairwell. She had this little like, like almost fire escape sort of patio, but not patio, you know, whatever, fire escape outside her house. And we would just sit and drink vermouth. And it was so just international and cosmopolitan and nobody at LSU was drinking vermouth on the rocks, <laughs> you know, much less like in a piazza. Jeez. And it, it just, I felt so, yeah, I felt cosmopolitan and grown up and like all of these other words. Um, and so I had this real affection for it. And then when I came back to the U.S., I guess I just didn't continue. Like LSU was a it's either beer or like hard liquor. And I came back and drank like a American college student and made the poor choices that we all made, um, <laughs> choosing quantity over quality and cheap over not. Uh, and but then time passed. And um, as I got more into this uh, cocktail world, I rediscovered vermouth. And that's and I think it's from being friends with you, really, that I wow. got to um, really get into this, that, that you like being friends with you, which meant that you were you started learning how I like to drink, even if I didn't understand how I like to drink. Um, and I I can't remember if it was you or or where, but then I had Carpano Antica, and I was like, "What is this? This is awesome!" And so that is another sweet Italian uh, vermouth, red vermouth. And so I, what makes vermouth vermouth? Um, vermouth is a fortified wine, but there's a subcategory in fortified wine called aromatized wines. And fortified wines have, mm -hmm. of course, the um, addition of spirit, but aromatized wines are fortified wines that have been flavored with herbs, spices, and other natural flavorings. And um, uh, more than one of these often has. Um, quinine in it, so they mm -hmm. uh, they often have a slightly bitter quality um, to them, and we can rattle off those names in a little bit. But um, vermouth doesn't doesn't usually doesn't, and uh, which is funny because because vermouth actually comes from um, the the German word. For wormwood, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, um, vermut. That that more vermut aren't uh, aren't more bitter. Yes, um, so those are our favorites, and we could just press stop right now, but we, like go drink those. The end. But um, oh, but that's leaving out so many other good stuff because <laughs> it, it is leaving out so many. 
Yeah, because when you're thinking fortified wines, uh, I, you know, it's funny that you said vermouth because I thought for sure you were going to say Madeira was your well, favorite fortified I, wine. Well, here's the thing. Madeira is in my heart, uh, mm. but I definitely tr- – I truthfully drink more vermouth than I drink mm. Madeira. Um, but Madeira was going to be second. and um, But partially I love Madeira also because of the song, yeah. um, which I will uh, put a – I will I will put a small part of the song in this podcast, what, however much I can legally include. Oh, oh, I learned this. If I'm talking about, um, it can't just be random like music that mm-hmm. you use to play in and play out. But um, there is a song called Have Some Madeira, Madeira. And I first heard it at a conference that I went to when I was still working at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. The conference was in at the University of Michigan, where they have a fabulous culinary um, archive. And I went to this culinary archive symposium, which sounds like so nerdy and geeky um, when I say you have culinary archive symposium. Um, but there was a performance of songs that were about food, food, food and drink and have some Madeira Madeira was performed. And it is also where I learned the word antepenultimate, uh, which is so ultimate is last penultimate is second to last and antepenultimate would be third to last. Uh, so now, you know, um, but I will include that and I will definitely put the, an entire clip, like not clip. I'll put the whole song on the Drink and Learn Revelers fan page, which everybody should be subscribing to anyway, so that you can hear this favorite song of mine. But Madeira um, is, well, Madeira is a place mm-hmm. and it's also, and it gives its name to this wine. And why did, okay, so I'll ask you why you said that you thought I was going to say Madeira and you should talk about it too. Well, because I know I know we've enjoyed drinking it together, and I know you love that song, so I think it had a place in your heart. <laughs> it also has a, a really cool story um, that appeals to your historical nature as well, because um, at the time that Madeira was started producing wine, and they started putting it on boats um, to sail it, there was a style of sherry that was very popular called East India sherry that essentially when you sailed with these Spanish boats filled with sherry used as ballast, by the time you got to the East Indies, you had this kind of different product that had baked and shaked up a little bit in the boat and been oxidized and shook around. And it was a very popular style of sherry that they would then bottle and sell from the East Indies. Um, the, Madeira said, oh, the island of Madeira. They said, oh, let's try that. And when they got to the East Indies, they're like, oh, it's terrible. Just put it back on the boat and sail back. So they, you know, just continued to use it as ballast, sailed it all the way back to Madeira, took it out. And then they were like, tasted it again. And they're like, oh, it's amazing now. So Madeira (laughs) is like this twice baked potato of fortified wine, sort of. You scoop it out. You mix it with some green onions. And cheddar put it back in. You can put it back in. Delicious. <laughs> but I, so I kind of love that. And because of that, Madeira, um, and for all of you who are now rushing to your grandmother's medicine cabinet and seeing if you have any sherry port or Madeira there, if you do find a bottle of Madeira and it's open, don't worry. Drink it. It's still good. Yeah, I do remember when you told me you can't break it. 
Like however yeah. you store it. Like because if you live in New Orleans, if if you ever live in New Orleans, uh, you will learn that many houses are extremely poorly insulated. My house is a sieve. There are places in the floor I can see cr- daylight. Uh, <laughs> you know, like under my house, which is you know raised. And um, there are certain wines that um, John Keefe, who owns a very swanky wine com- uh, wine store here in town, um, has forbidden me. That, uh, there were some wines Lee and I received for our, when we got married. And John's like, you're not going to keep these in your house, are you? <laughs> because he knew that like they couldn't handle the uh, the wide changes in temperature extreme, and extreme like temps, extreme, yeah. extreme temps. But uh, yeah, I remember when you were like, oh, Madeira, like keep it wherever you can't break it. Can't, can't yeah. break Madeira. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. However, if you see a bottle of Fino or Manzanilla Sherry that has been open for a while, you can go ahead and throw that out. And ditto with the vermouth. You should keep the mm-hmm. vermouth in the fridge. This is the most important thing that we need to get across in this in this episode. And we've talked about it before, probably yeah. in the Martini episode and the Manhattan episode. So it's worth saying again. Vermouth, even though these fortified wines are, you know, typically between 14 and 22% APV, they do have alcohol in it. it they are still a wine product. And once you open it, it should be refrigerated. It should be capped, which means you're reducing its exposure to uh, oxygen whenever possible. And you should probably consume it within a couple of weeks. I know that you, you have higher standards at your bar, but also yes. you're going through vermouth. We're going through vermouth very, very quickly. For my home use, I, you know, I'll always pick up the smallest bottle. Like right now, I think yeah. I have a little like 375 bottle of, of Dolan sweet vermouth in my fridge for, for that Manhattan. But once I make that Manhattan and I get that Manhattan kick out, out of my system, you can bet I'm having vermouth on the rocks with a twist for the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. To get rid of that bottle. I was really glad when Carpano Antica, which is allegedly the oldest vermouth that's been continuously made. Um, I was very glad when they put it in the not 1.75 milliliter bottles because <laughs> they have very large, large <laughs> bottles, large bottles. And uh, so, cause then it's just a challenge, right? Then they're just throwing down the gauntlet of, mm-hmm. all right, lady, what are you going to do with this bottle? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Madeira story is, is great. And um, actually all, so all of these fortified wines have these uh, fantastic, like travel logs that go along with their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, there, I particularly um, like the story of how port became so popular among the British. And mm. it's mostly because they hated Spain and France. And so <laughs> they, they uh, or Fran- and France maybe hated England too. So France they usually do. Do yeah, France upped their excise duties on their wine, on claret. And so England is like, screw you. Uh well, we just won't I mean, of course they were still gonna have wine, but um they were doing whatever they could to not drink it. And so they looked to Portugal and Portugal was was making wine, but it actually when you start looking at when you start looking now at who owns 
uh, many of the vineyards that the names that are associated with port, uh, many of them are English because as port grew in popularity, a lot of um, English investors began purchasing property in in Portugal and um, getting in on that um, sweet, sweet trade agreement. Mm-hmm. So when you read uh, accounts of dinners in the late 18th and 19th century in England, it's nuts. Like It's like basically everybody drinks a bottle of port on their own, like at a dinner. So or they're, they're having, they have dinner and the ladies are there and then the ladies retire to a parlor. Oh, and they have sherry, right? And the ladies have sherry in very small glasses. Yeah. And, and then the men drink themselves into a stupor on port. And yes, these are fortified. They're stronger than wine. So that's why, when I serve them at the restaurant, they might come in a wine glass, but it's a slightly smaller pour than I would say pouring my Pinot Noir. Or, right. Um, and when um, and just like with sherry, I think when a lot of people think of port, uh, they think of that liquid that has been sitting in a decanter at their grandma's or maybe at their parents' house, and it's just been sitting there and sitting there and slowly evaporating, (laughs) making a little like line around the edge of the (laughs) decanter. And every now and then it gets poured and maybe it's just super sweet and it's like a half a step from grape juice. But um, port, again, I don't think it quite has the the breadth of uh, flavor profiles that sherry does, for example. I think it is... um, narrower in the way that Madeira, the level of sweetness in port is, it is, is not quite as broad, but Mm. that doesn't mean that, um, it, it doesn't carry with it depth and complexity and not just, it isn't just this like one note Mm. sweetness and port and sherry and vermouth. And I feel like less so Madeira, but maybe that's just for lack of me looking at recipes. All get featured in cocktails and maybe port less so now, but it used to feel like port used to show up a lot. It had a moment. Um, there was a white port was coming out and there was a big push to use that in cocktails. I remember a couple years ago. Um, you, I don't think it shows up too often in the, in the classics. It must, but, um, but nothing that really gets used as much today, right? Like, um, like sherry cocktails. Because yeah. sherry, because sherry was uh, the co- the cobbler yeah. was one of the was an early cocktail, and then it went away, and then and now it's come back. But it, at least yeah. it had that his- history. And then the vermouth yeah. isn't vermouth never went away. Yeah, those cobblers were often oh. made with port with Madeira as well, hmm. and with vermouth. Um, yeah. So cobbler, that'll Absolutely. be a different. Uh, that's that's a different episode, but. Just so you know that that that's a, a kind of drink and a, mm-hmm. and a cocktail. So I mentioned that in the fortified wine, vermouth is an aromatized wine. And can you talk a little bit about um, the quinine flavored aromatized wines, the Quinquina, the Americano, and the Barolo Quinado? Um, I had the Barolo Quinado for the first time in Italy. Lee and I did in Venice. 
Oh man, Ooh, that stuff is so delicious. It's oh. really and good. the uh coke yeah. americano or americano yeah. is uh an ingredient that you might see listed in um a cocktail description. Uh so uh can you talk uh, mm-hmm. just a little bit about the difference between those three Koki versus like the Kinkina, for example. Well, just so you know what we're talking about when we talk about Kinkina. Um, uh, Americano. Americano, Kinkina, uh, Chinchonoron. There's, uh, there's so many different um, things. And this is basically all comes down to the... Um, the fever tree. Um, that, you know the yeah, story of the we fever talked tree? about. We discussed it when you we were talking about because we um, discussed the gin and tonic because of because of quinine. Yeah, and the it's gin the, and tonic. It's the magic. Just- it's the magic bark. Okay, so now you have to go back homework. Go back to the gin and tonic because uh, we talked about quinine and the fever yeah. tree had the magical uh, bark that it was bark, right? While in Lima, Peru. In uh, 1630, the wife of the fourth count of Chintron fell ill with a fever. And the indigenous people there in Peru knew the powers of this local tree, the fever tree, that could cure the ailments of those who bathed in the lake beneath it. The Andes uh, called it Kina Kina, meaning bark of barks. The countess bathed in the lake and was cured of her illness. And the tree became known as the Chintrona tree named after this count and his wife. Um, so once it was discovered that this bark was the cure, that um, it became exported all over the world to treat fevers and ailments. And uh, it was later discovered that this bark contained the spe- specific um, chemical quinine that could cure fevers or malaria. I mean, think, think about it at this time. Like, there's no modern medicine. You can't even drink clean water. And yet we've discovered this bark of tree that, you know, normally right. you would die from a fever and suddenly all you have to do is is drink this tonic and you're cured. It's a, it's a miracle. Like, this was amazing. This was yeah. like the antibiotics of its day. It was a miracle. So, of course, now that it's very bitter, it's a very, very bitter herb. So, but people took it quite often. And what do you do with medicine? You know, a little spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So they would often sweeten it, um, but they wanted it to stay stable. So they added alcohol to it as well. So vermouth became like the perfect conduit for this kind of miracle cure. Just put a little bit in it. And then you're always, you know, if you're going someplace where there's a good chance you might catch a fever, you are protected because you have been drinking um, this Kina Kina. So um, in 1846, um, the French government had a problem with a lot of their soldiers refusing to drink this medicine because it didn't taste good. So um that, that early, uh, Sir Joseph Dubonnet, a Paris wine merchant and chemist, developed a wine aperitif to mask the taste of quinine. And it was so good that his wife began to serve it to all their friends. And then that became Dubonnet, which is one of the first kind of aromatized, um, fortified wines. With quinine. With quinine. Yeah. With quinine. And then... Um, you have a uh, cookie Americano. Uh, that is a brand in Italy. 
that uses it. Lalay had its own Lalay Kina, they called it, because it had quinine in it. And in fact, if you look at the original recipe for the Vesper, um, the James Bond cocktail, it does call for that Kina Kina in it, that, that Lalay Kina. Um, for those of you that are listening, and even if you see it written, Koki Americano does not refer to Americans. Amer is a reference to Amaro, which is bitter. And so, like, that's what the Amer is referring to. It's not talking about Americas or Americans. Which I did not know yeah. until for a yeah, I was Italian always like, I don't know better. why they're talking about because there is a song in Italy, Americano, <laughs> Americano, ma senato Napoli, and it's like, no, it's about a guy who wants. It's in the fifties and how he wants to be, uh, to fight America. It means you want you want to be Americano, and he's a guy who like likes drinks whiskey and likes baseball and. You know, it's back when everyone was enamored of uh, America in the 1950s and wanted to um, emulate emulate all the cool what all the cool kids were doing. Uh, and yeah. it's uh, also the name of a kind of Italian coffee, which is when you add water to an espresso and mm-hmm. it's called an Americano. And so it is completely reasonable that I there also is a cocktail called the Americano that is. Sweet vermouth and Campari. It's completely reasonable with for me to have thought that Coke Americano had something to do with Americanos. <laughs> Actually, being Americani, but anyway. And guess what? It's not. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, it has. It comes from the Amer, which is the which is bitter. Um, so Coke Americano is one of is the Italian bitter, bitter. Uh, uh, option. But isn't there another Italian uh, quite well the Bar- Barolo Chinato? It is, it is quite delicious. This is, and all of this stuff that we're talking about, by the way, is pretty much like only been available in the American market um, the last 10 years or so. There really wasn't a huge demand. Uh, you know, you're right. It was mostly Gallo or, or a Martini and Rossi vermouth. You had your, your dry, your sweet, and, uh, and that was it. Uh, but uh, starting with this, you know, kind of new wave of of cocktails and uh, and mixing that we had going on at the turn of the 21st century, all of a sudden we started having importers take notice of these these ingredients that you know are were still being made and still being consumed in Europe, but hadn't been imported to the United mm-hmm. States since before prohibition. So um, Something like I remember when when Coke Americano came on the market. It must have really? been like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and it blew our minds because it's so different. And now we have beautiful vermouths from Spain and vermouth from Italy and vermouth from France mm-hmm. and vermouth from Corsica, and we have blanc vermouths and extra dry vermouths and sweet vermouths, and we have such a, a, a breadth of aromatized wines and um, red and rosé and lilay and and Dubonnet. All the A's. And There's just so many delicious uh, Canadian. All A's. the A's. Sorry, that's my terrible joke. Um, uh, and hey. There's no Canadian vermouth. I've recently, you know, being on the West Coast now, I've been handed a plethora mm. of California vermouths. Like there are California Which they should. They, are, now they already got the wine. Vermouth. Right? Like it's, you already have the primary ingredient. Exactly. 
And they're delicious. And that's one of the things I always loved about um, Amaro's, which mm-hmm. I guess we'll talk about in the Amaro episode, but I'll mention it first here with vermouth, is that every vermouth you taste is a representation of the place that it came from. So it contains fruits and spices and herbs and teas that you would find in that area. So you really get even more a sense of terroir and taste of of what of what that area is like and what they make. And I think that's so beautiful. All right. So um, when we're talking about um, terroir, terroir, uh, we're not even just talking about countries. We're talking about regions. So you have um, this vermouth that I've been really digging recently that comes in um, Blanco, but it also is red, roja, um, Rojo, and that is from Basque. It's a Basque vermouth, and it's Acha, A-T-X-A, and it is like this super herbaceous, very zingy, um, spicy vermouth. And when I taste that next to the Italian Carpano Antica, they're so different, even though they are both red vermouths. And mm-hmm. if I then poured a French sweet vermouth, uh, next to that, it would be, you know, very different. And even within France, within all those regions, you know, they're, yeah. they're all different. When I was tasting those, it made me think about when you were talking in the gin episode about how key it is that a lot of bartenders don't pay attention to, does this gin work in this cocktail? Because there's such breadth of gin flavors. Um, that can be the same for vermouths and that just, you know, making a Manhattan with any old vermouth um, or rather changing the vermouths really changes the drink and it could change it enough that you wouldn't like that drink. Absolutely. Absolutely. The uh, martini and the um, Manhattan in a classic recipe, one third of that drink is vermouth. So yeah, of course it's going to have a big difference. And if you like 50-50 drinks, like I do, a 50-50 martini or a 50-50 Manhattan, that vermouth becomes even more important um, because that's half the drink for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, all of this is a very good segue into, uh, you got a drink for us? You have a recipe for us? Oh, yeah. Do I ever. Um, So some of my favorite uh, cocktails are uh, fortified wine cocktails. Um, the Adonis, I think I've made, have I made that before? No. no. The Adonis, the bamboo, these are wonderful kind of martini variations that use um, uh, sherry a- in place of the whiskey or gin. So it's a fully fortified wine drink because it uses both vermouth and sherry. And and then there is oh, um, it's like you got your chocolate and my peanut butter, and I got, got my peanut butter, peanut and, butter my and my chocolate because yeah, you, so I should you probably pick sherry do. and I pick vermouth. Yeah, <laughs> people sometimes ask me what is the sexiest drink anyone can order from you, oh. and my answer is always an Adonis. I mean, is there a more sexy name? The Adonis. Men want to be it. Women want it. Or, you know, men want it. We all want it. Yeah, right. We all want it. Um, The ideal beauty. So the Adonis is a 
basically a Manhattan variation that mm-hmm. um, instead of whiskey, you put in a um, nice uh, sherry. So mm-hmm. there's lots of different styles of sherry that you could use for this. Oloroso uh, and Amontillado, Fino, um, Manzanilla. I like I like it uh, a little bit more on the dry side. I used to make them with Oloroso, but there's a lot of kind of deep, rich notes in Oloroso that you'll also find in sweet vermouth. So I like to um, balance the sweet vermouth a little bit with um, some um, uh, a nice manzanilla or even a, a fino is great in this drink. And it's a 50-50 drink, so it's really easy to make. And you can make them by the pitcher. So that's what I have here is one of my like grandpa's martini pitchers. Um, You just put some uh, ice in that pitcher, which I am struggling to get the ice out of the mold. Oh yeah. Here we go. Some ice dropping. Oh yeah. That's good. Here's another one. You see that noise? That also is from my spoon. Now there, again, there's no citrus in this drink. So if there's no citrus, then this drink becomes a uh, stirred, stirred cocktail and not a shaken cocktail, which is, again, why I'm using my... Yeah, which is pepper. why you definitely don't want to shake in a pitcher. No. That won't end no, well. That will, that will make a mess. <laughs> so um, this drink, uh, again, it's based on a um, classic Manhattan, so you want to put some bitters in it. But for this, I use um, orange bitters, which w- what I would normally use in a martini, but I like the Adonis with orange bitters. So a couple dashes of orange bitters. And then we're going to do 50-50. Got a little Amontillado sherry, an ounce and a half. And then we have um, some sweet vermouth. And I'm going to use a um, sweet vermouth um, also from Spain. We're going to make it a full-on Spanish, um, mm-hmm. a Spanish Adonis. And, um, Those are and the best. we will use. They would say that the Spanish Adonis is the best Adonis. <laughs> they, they would, the Spanish handsome. would say they're the best Adonis. Yeah. Es muy guapo. So it's, um, <laughs> Claro que sí. Muy guapo. So this is some um, la, claro que sí. This is uh, la cuesta vermouth. Um, it is a little bit on the kind of like spicier, drier side, but uh-huh. still definitely a sweet vermouth, but not as rich because we're getting a lot of richness from the sherry. Okay, ounce and a half of that, and then we just give that a good stir. And you could obviously batch this, right? And this is yeah. this is a drink this for is batching. Easy. This is a drink for batching. Yeah, you can make mm-hmm. this ahead of time in a big pitcher, add ice, and then just serve. I serve it up in a Nick and Nora glass. And a lemon twist. And you have your Adonis cocktail, the sexiest fortified wine cocktail out there. Adonis in a glass. That's handy. Yeah. Just keep them around for sipping. Mm -hmm. Um, For sipping. Well, I may go um, make that. Actually, it's date night uh, at Bud Rips, and I loaned a – I got a – I don't, you know that I don't usually buy cocktail books um, because I don't make them. 
at home, but I picked up a, a book called The Shim, and it was a whole cocktail oh, book I, of, uh, of low proof, uh, low proof, proof drinks. That's a great cocktail book. I met the author of that. She's amazing. Um, then maybe we can have her uh, on uh, the uh, on the podcast because I, oh, uh, you know, you know, um, in January I. I drank low proof instead of no proof. I did not do dry January. I did damp January. And that <laughs> uh, required uh, me asking the bartenders at my local to accommodate me. And they got real excited. And as a result, they've been pestering the owner to carry other vermouths. Because until then, they just let me bring my own. So I would walk in and put the vermouth mm. on the bar and then they would, you know, make something. But um, uh, Dickie also recently ordered some sherry that he's, so he's been playing around with this book. Wow. And, uh, what wow. They can, yeah. So like total. This, seriously, this bar, Bud Rips, is neighborhood dive bar. And yeah. the fact that this bartender is good. Well, this is a testament to how much he loves you, which is lovely. This is a testament to how great the hospitality is in New Orleans, that the yeah. bartender would go above and beyond for his guests like that. But this is also a testament to the way the bar scene is changing, that we're discovering things like shims and different mm -hmm. vermouths and, you know, and that we're understanding that it is, it's a beautiful cocktail. You know, vermouth is, is made to be meant drunk. The 99% of the people who drink vermouth in Europe drink it just on the rocks. Exactly. Maybe with a twist. That's yeah. the way it was meant to be drunk. We're the crazy Americans who mix it with gin, yeah. and mix it with all these yeah. other things. So um, this is wonderful, though. That's such a sweet story, Elizabeth. Well, I love it. Well, I don't want to take all the credit because I, uh, or, or say it's only just about me, because both uh, Dickie and Savannah um, have fancy cocktail bar experience, and they mm -hmm. left that world because they both prefer the 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 pleasures of the neighborhood bar which are their own pleasures yeah. but i also yeah. know that they both kind of miss making something a little more complicated than um you know a whiskey and soda and so it's been mm -hmm. it's been nice for them to have this like challenge and to play around but without all the stress of what, like what a co what working at a bar, frankly, like uh, Ben Nevis or um, no Ben Paris, right? Ben Paris. Ben yeah. Nevis is yeah. a mountain in Scotland, and it's also the name yes, of a fantastic whiskey bar in Glasgow. Ben Paris <laughs> is the name of the bar where Abigail works in Seattle. Uh, yes, and it's not a mountain. Um, although there's, probably I think we should do a there. we should do a Ben Ben Paris Ben Nevis night, and I'll do just Scotch cocktails. How about that? Yeah, you do that. You do that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay. so I I think that it it was an excuse, it gave them an excuse. But the point is is that there is now uh, sherry in the uh, fridge at Bud Rips, and maybe I will have Dickie pull that out and I'll have an Adonis. I mean, I already I have one and his name is Lee Domingue. Don't worry. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What better way to celebrate the fact that you're married to an Adonis than to invite another one in. <laughs> so bizarre threesome. Uh, so on that note. Uh, so we do have this wonderful book, um, 
The Art of the Shim, Low Alcohol Cocktails to Keep You Level by Dinah Sanders. Um, she's wonderful. And this book is full of these recipes. If you yourself want to do a damp January or a moist November. <laughs> Ew, I hate that <laughs> word. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then other cocktails, of course, we've talked about the martini and the Manhattan and how we've talked about the main spirits in those, but you know, the vermouth is very important to those. I hope you guys will experiment with that and know that the queen every day drinks a Dubonnet cocktail. Dubonnet cocktail is one of the few. As did her mother, right? Didn't her mother? Did her mother? Yeah. Yep. Which is one of the few copyrighted cocktails that exist. The uh, queen mom lived past a hundred. A Dubonnet keeps the doctor away. Mm. A Dubonnet a day keeps the doctor away. Which is way better. Dubonnet apple. Dubonnet a day keeps the doctor away. It is. I'm sure that's exactly how she like wrapped it. Yes, yeah. the queen mom yeah, is wrapping. Uh, wait, oh, 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 so I was what I was going to say in, if, as you're doing your damp or whatever is that, um, you know, October rhymes with sober, uh, but sober doesn't have to mean complete, <laughs> completely sober. It's like, how about mostly sober for October? And then mostly can, sober for October. <laughs> for then you can have I'm just doing low your- proof cocktails. <laughs> You'll be sitting at the bar going, I'll have another. This is your fifth one. They're low proof. Hello. <laughs> They're low proof. Yeah. It's like just drinking five <laughs> glasses of wine, ma'am. That's still not. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. It's like um, I could I'll... eat this entire bag of 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 fat-free gummy bears because they're fat-free. So I'm going to eat oh, the whole bag. Or snack wells. Remember those when oh, they weren't supposed to be bad for you, but they're totally bad for you. Um, well, I will also <laughs> post, uh, I'll post the, um, the shim, um, art, the art of the shim, a link uh, on the page as well. And don't forget everybody that you should, number one, subscribe to the Drink and Learn podcast if you haven't already. And number two, tell some people um, maybe not in a pushy way because you don't want to scare people on public transit or however it is that you're listening to us. But um, one of the best ways to hear about a podcast or to learn about a podcast is to hear about it from somebody that you trust or somebody who knows you. And so um, really appreciate it. We would really appreciate it if you would uh, share it with friends, family, colleagues, whoever. We love seeing the drinks that you're making. And we also love to answer questions. If you have any of those, you can post those on the Revelers page. You can find me at Drink and Learn and all the at places and Abigail. Uh, On Instagram, um, my name at Abigail Gullo, A-B-I-G-A-I-L-G-U-L-L-O at NYC Baby, NYC Baby at um on twitter and you can find me at ben paris in the state hotel here in um, beautiful seattle washington yes uh and so i we would love to hear if you try some new fortified wines um if you make a drink with them or any of that we love hearing from you and uh please let us know what you're drinking what you're making And until the next time, cheers, y'all. Cheers. Cheers.